On today's episode, I'm answering all of your patron and Facebook questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back. We have another Q&A episode today. I have last episode was answering all of your Instagram questions and we talked about asphalt running, um, trusting Garmin data, those sorts of things. And now we have some questions flooding in from the podcast patrons and also from the Facebook group. And let's dive in. I don't really feel like I need to chat too much about my life and what's going on with the podcast in today's episode. So we'll just dive straight in. We have Mike Pennington who asks, if an experienced runner is forced into taking downtime for either an unrelated injury, for illness, or just life getting in the way for an extended period of time, how slow should you come back when you're starting to run again? And he continues, in my case, it is due to illness and looking to start up again in about a month. The total time not running would be roughly five months. However, about half of that time, I've been doing strength training, walking, hiking, biking pretty extensively and feeling pretty fit presently. Debating how slow I should start back up with running when given the green light. Great question. I think um, there's a couple of things for me to add. First of all, I might break it off into like extended time off when there's no illness. Talk about just like whether it's from an injury or just going on holidays or just, you know, trying something else, uh, having an off season and then returning. There's usually a few things, a few factors that I will account for when making the decision of how aggressively to start back. If you do start back at what volumes and build it up from there. But I will say that for the most part, it is just an educated guess. You're just playing a, a guessing game and trying to combine as much data, as much evidence as you can find about your running and about your fitness levels to then find a starting point and then take it from there. So the factors that I would want to include is, okay, how much time off have you had? Like in your case, Mike, you said five months. Um, The other one is how much activity or cross training during the time off. And like you said, strength training, walking, hiking, biking pretty extensively. So that's good as well. Uh, How much strength training have you done during your time off? Also your previous running history 
And Mikey answered this. He said, you're an experienced runner. I'm not sure how long for though, but if it was a new runner, then we'd definitely need to factor that in. Previous injury history is another one that I would include because if someone has had, you know, several injuries within the last 12 months and then they've had time off and then they want to resume, I would be a lot more cautious with their progression than someone who hasn't been injured in the past 12 months and then just returning to running. So you gather as much data from that and then you say, okay, let's consider all this and then let's weigh up the risk versus reward if you were to rush back into running. Like, do you have any, how much time do you have available? Do you have, do you want to get into race preparations? Um, How do you feel about just starting out with really low volumes, really easy walk-run programs? Are you a able to do that because if you are and we start on the conservative side that's obviously a lot easier to manage and then based on your symptoms or based on how you're feeling you can build up as patiently as you need that's the most safest way possible but a lot of runners don't want to do that they want to return back to their pre-injury or their pre-time off running as soon as possible, they, they're a little bit, you know, they want to keep things moving along, keep progressing. And so with that rate of progression, do you want to weigh up the risks and rewards that may be associated with a quick ramp up? Because some people might say, I just want to get back to running 5Ks three times a week. That's just what I want to do. That's what I enjoy. Others might want to start, they, they feel like uh, they want to return back to interval sessions or harder training sessions, time trials, like track races. There's so many different goals and so many different um, motivations and preferences that runners have. So then we have to weigh up the risk versus rewards. I mean, say, all right, this is the amount of time we've had off. This is the how strong we think you are, how fit we think you are based on all of the previous accounts and previous data that we've asked let's assign this particular dosage and let's ramp up. And there might be a slight chance of you developing an obvious injury, but that's the risk you're willing to take. If you don't want to take that risk, let's take a more gradual approach. And I guess the most gradual approach would just be to start from scratch, just doing a walk run program, gradually building up as the running allows and as symptoms allow. Um, You could like, you could start it like, 50% of your capacity. So you might want to say, before my time off, I was running 30 Ks per week. How about now I reduce that to 50% and only run 15 Ks per week. Maybe you want to take on a little bit more risk and resume at 100% of your pre-time off volume running weekly mileage, but you just want to do it a lot more slowly and just totally cut out all of the intensity, all of the speed work, all of the hills, and just start with flat, really low, really low speeds, and then just build up from there. That could be an option for you as well. Um, and like I said, we all have different levels of risks. But if you have time, if you are patient enough, if you just want to take that conservative approach, that'd be my recommendation. And then you can always just build up based on how the body feels. Cause you might start really easy, maybe doing it three or four times a week. And then as you build up, you've noticed that the body's responding really, really well. So the progression of your build up can be slightly more aggressive depending on how the body feels. 
And if you do get to a ramp up stage where the body's feeling a little bit tired, a little bit sore, maybe you're not too sure how you are responding, then you can dial that back down, dial down, still ramping up, but the intensity of that ramp up can be dialed down a little bit. So general guidelines, I like to throw some general guidelines out there. If you have taken like five months off due to holidays, going away, you know, change in, you know, your fitness routine, I would probably start from scratch. Five months off is quite a long period of time, uh, but you can, if you've managed to stay active in Mike's case, um, I would start from scratch, but then the ramp up could be probably pretty aggressive. So that would be my uh, relatively like quick kind of response or just general vague guidelines, but it's so different. As we know from listening to this podcast, there's so many different factors when it comes to injuries. But if you want to take the more conservative approach, then please do that. (laughs) The illness side of things is something I wanted to add a bit more information about. So if you are bedridden, if you if you do have an illness and you like if a severe flu and you're in bed for most of the time of the day and you've been bedridden for about five days, I'd be actually really careful with your approach. Even if it's only five days, we know that if you are bedridden, your strength, your fitness, and those sort of things start to diminish really quickly. If you have an injury and if you have to have five days off, but you're still walking around, you're still moving, you're still exercising a little bit, you're going up and down stairs and you're, you're relatively active, even if it's sedentary, the fact that you are still moving around helps preserve a lot of that strength and fitness. But if you're bedridden, it depletes and diminishes really, really quickly. So I'd be really careful with your approach if you are ill, that results in you being bedridden for you know five to seven days, be really careful you will return that strength and fitness really quickly because it's only five to seven days, but that initial um, that initial session back into running should be done very carefully. If you are still managing symptoms, like if you have the cold or a flu or something, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. I would say just listen to the body. In most cases, you probably shouldn't exercise. Obviously, it depends on how severe those symptoms are. But when you do return to exercise, I would just cut out all the intensity. I'll just go really slow, really easy and then just see how the body feels. Stay hydrated as well is another tip. But if you are managing moderate to severe symptoms like uh, respiratory symptoms and a bit headachey, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't exercise. I'd just give my body the rest time that it needs and the recovery time that it needs. And then once you start feeling a little bit better, then you can start introducing the cardio, but I would back off all the intensity and cross training could be a good option as well because I can envision like a, if you are unwell and you're just returning back and you've improved to the point where you only have mild symptoms, uh, maybe your headache's gone away, maybe you still have the sniffles a little bit, but still coughing. Um, I could imagine a runner just feeling a really, 
a bit sluggish into their running and feeling a bit fatigued when they run. And if you run fatigued and you run quite sluggish and your cadence reduces and your step time increases, it actually, you're running really efficiently, uh, really inefficiently, and you might increase your odds of developing an injury. So if you are feeling sluggish and you are feeling a little bit fatigued and you want to start some cardio, I think cross training might be a good option. I think cycling or the elliptical or just something that takes away that ground reaction force um, can be a useful tip. And it can also be a good opportunity just to see how your symptoms go with some cardio because you might jump on the elliptical and just get really burnt out really quickly. And that could be the deciding factor to say, you know what, probably not ready for cardio or not ready for running just yet. Next question, we have Lynn Sherlock and she asks, maybe some common cross-training injuries, specifically like cycling and swimming, as injured runners tend to turn to them so to prevent them from getting overuse injuries uh, as well as from cross-training. So Lynn's asking if... there are any common cross-training injuries or what are some common cross-training injuries. I will keep cycling and swimming um, in this answer, but I might have a couple of others. Cycling, like you just don't see a lot of injuries compared to running because there's so much ground reaction force involved in running. uh, Cycling is just less involved. Yes, you might get some hip stuff, um, just the, the hip flexion, depending how aggressive your posture is on the bike. But uh, the other one I would see is proximal hamstring tendinopathy for cyclists if they're going really hard on a bike or developing some sort of knee issues. Because there are, relatively speaking, there are a fair high amount of load that go through the knees. And if it's too abrupt, if it's too much, if you're not used to cycling and all of a sudden you do a spin class, which involves a lot of um, a lot of pedaling, it could spike up knee loads. Swimming, again, you don't really see a lot of injuries. Well, with swimmers, I, the main injuries you do see is shoulders because that's just where all the force is generated from. And so similar to running-related injuries, these particular types of cross-training injuries are just from overuse or too abrupt in your training. We all know the abrupt changes from running, but you know, swimming, you could, or, or cycling, you could in, increase the duration too much. You could increase the intensity too much. Um, there may be a few other factors that lead to a likelihood of injury, like having like the bike fit, I guess. Maybe if the, the fit itself is um, not really adjusted for your body and all of a sudden you're putting more loads through your hips or through your knees uh, as you are pedaling through because the bike fit isn't accustomed. Um, your swimming technique, I guess, um, the the shoulder range of movement and the function, the mobility of a shoulder maybe could um, increase the likelihood of injury. I don't know. I don't know the science. I'm more of the running side of things, but this is just what I've seen. Not delving into the research, but just seeing swimmers and cyclists in the past. So those are a few guidelines that you can keep to. Um, Be careful with HIT classes as well, like high intensity interval training, if you're not used to it. I've seen a lot of runners get injured or a lot of people get injured doing high intensity classes that they're not ready for uh, because a lot of the gyms, they set up in a way that, or they do challenges that, you know, a, a recreational strength person who hasn't 
doesn't have a lot of experience with strength training, goes into this fitness class and all of a sudden like it's high intensity, the the level of motivation, the competition, the competitive side of thing kicks in and all of a sudden you have to do all these squats, lunges, deadlifts, um, shoulder presses, burpees, all these sort of things that are really high intensity. If that's too much for you, it's going to increase your likelihood of injury. And I do see a lot of injuries um, doing that. It's not necessarily cross training, but um, those hit classes can be quite dangerous if you just jump straight into it. And usually with the um, the challenges that gyms do, it's often you know a six week challenge and people just dive into doing a class every day uh, without any break. And so you can understand why that ramp up is too much or that overload is too much and then you develop an injury. Virginia is our next one and asks, strength injury rehab question. In a situation where a beginner runner is dealing with very tight calf muscles due to weakness and is recommended by a health professional to strengthen his calves along with muscle release techniques, but after doing specific strengthening exercises such as calf raises, the muscles feel even worse negatively impacting the running. What's the best way to go from here? Should we keep, stop doing the strengthening exercises, modify the exercises, etc.? This is such a good question. I was happy to read this and uh, more than happy to answer it. So this kind of taps into my experience when first running. When I very first became a runner, uh, a recreational runner, I should say, my calves were so tight, so sore. As soon as I'd get home, to point my toes up, to point my toes down, my calves just felt like they'd just been inflated and felt like they were going to burst. And took me several months to overcome that. I would make sure my training dosage was uh, within my parameters, but just they were just constantly tight. They felt tight, but they were they were more sore. But I was constantly stretching, and just took a long time just from settle and eventually adapt to the endurance side of things. And now they're fine. They've been fine for years. But so that, that really rang true with me. Um, so this, we have a scenario here with Virginia's question, new runner, saw calves from running. So in the process of these calves, trying to adapt to the life of a runner and the conditions in which running is involved, easy conclusion to think that, okay, just weak calves. The calves just need to get used to running. How about we start some strengthening to build up the strength of the calves? But if you're continuing to run, you're just piling on more demand of the calves. Hence why you say that this person's feeling worse um, because you're just asking too much of it. You're taking something that's been overloaded and currently or, or adding on more load on top of that. So my advice would be uh, don't strengthen just yet. I don't think now's the real time to strengthen. I think now is the time to try and hone in on a good running dosage and a good training dosage. So instead of doing the strengthening, let's cut that out and find short, low-intensity runs and, and kind of find the calf stuff, kind of find the calf loads that in that sweet spot of adaptation. So they're not really sore afterwards. They might be a little bit tight, a little bit sore after a run. But once you find a short, low intensity dosage that the calves actually respond well to, and this can apply to any other body part. Once you find that sweet spot, we're actually finding that adaptation sweet zone. 
then we can start training within that sweet zone as often as allowed. And that might be five, six times per week. And this goes back to episode two, I think it was of the podcast talking about adaptation hacking and increasing your frequency. Frequency is the key when it comes to adaptation hacking. It gives your body more opportunity to hit that adaptation zone. So once you find that adaptation zone, you can then train several times in the week to hit that adaptation zone, provided that there's adequate recovery and that the, the overall the calf is responding well to the overall weekly mileage. But once you find that sweet spot, instead of two or three times a week of running, you do it four, five, six times a week and it's handling quite well, you're going to adapt a lot quicker and your calves will adapt a lot quicker but it does need to be short and it does need to be low intensity in order for you to find that sweet spot for new runners. So it does require patience. I'd say for this person does require patience, does require diligence and uh, to remain within that adaptation zone because it does take a bit of time. I'm not, can't remember how often I would run back then. It was probably two or three times a week, but it took probably about four months for my calves to eventually say, okay, we're, we can now handle long distance running and not get sore and tight after my running. So you could probably do it more effectively than I did. And I would say just follow those general principles, follow the same adaptation principles, and it should be fine. Be patient, be diligent, and uh, don't push yourself too hard because if we exceed that adaptation zone, then we're into hovering into that injury territory, which we want to keep out of. I had a question come in from Rory McDonald and Rory asks, is there much research on mechanical treadmills versus motorized treadmills? Um, there's so many studies seem to only use motorized ones, but everyone I've asked who's used uh, mechanical ones rave about them um, being far more natural. I decided to not answer your question, Rory. <laughs> I've decided to actually put this question uh, into my list of solo episodes that I want to do in the future and dedicate an entire episode to it. So thanks for your question, Rory. Not going to answer it now. I'm actually going to look at the research myself, have a look at some papers and then see what conclusions I come to. What are the differences between a motorized and non-motorized treadmill? But thank you for your question. <laughs> the last one I have today is from Mike Collinson. And Mike says, I'm following a running program from 8020 Endurance that plans five to six runs per week. That's too much because I'm currently running three days per week with strength training three days per week, opposite to the running days. If I want to increase to four or five running days per week, how should I maintain the strength training? I'm guessing zone two run and strength training on the same day and be careful of the AEUs, arbitrary exercise units, or TRIMP to increase load slowly. Okay, so we've got this, we've got Mike's scenario where he's running three days per week, strength training three days per week, and I'm assuming the other day is just a rest day, but doing them on alternate days, so it'd be run, strength, run, strength, run, strength. Um, if my advice would be if you wanted to increase your running days or let's just say the, the running program that you are currently doing calls for extra running days. Um, if you increase to four days per week, uh, you could probably increase the running 
and combine, like you suggested, combine the running days with your strength days. So you might find one day per week that's a really nice timing for your um, legs or your recovery time. Maybe the day just before your rest day uh, where you combine strength and running together. So you can time that quite well. You could do the running in the morning, strength in the afternoon, if you have that luxury of time. Um, what I re- I don't really recommend, it depends on how hard your strength and conditioning is, but if your strength and conditioning is a session where the legs feel a little bit fatigued or a little bit wonky at the end of the session, don't go for a run after that. If your, if your strength and conditioning sessions are that intense, you would go for a run in the morning and then do your strengthening after the run, even more preferable at the uh, in between, have like a, a five or six hour gap in between the run and the strength so that you're more recovered and the body can adapt to both of those scenarios. So that would be my advice. If you then increase to five days per week, so before was just if you're increasing the running frequency by one day per week, just combine the two. If you decide to increase to five days per week um, and you're not too comfortable with combining another strength day, you can still do that. You can still find that fifth running day and combine the strength on that day. Um, But you can also consider dropping one strength session and increasing, I guess, the demand of the other two. So you're kind of taking the weekly demand for those three strength sessions and just pushing them into two sessions. Might be a little bit more exercise, might be a little bit more intense, um, but that could be an option for you as well. And that frees up an extra day for you to do your running and then still have a rest day once in that week. So, yep, like I said, more exercises might be slightly heavier or harder. If you feel like your strength sessions, if you feel like you can do it three times a week and you can do it pretty well, um, the strength sessions themselves might be a little bit too low on the intensity scale. Just my general vibe, but um, you can, you'll still be able to improve your running performance, strength training twice a week and just getting the right balance. Um, in terms of organizing your schedule, you might want to do your strength and conditioning on your easy days. So you kind of have this, um, the right balance, or you might want to have a bit more periodization and combine all of your hard sessions together, leaving rest days. So if you had, um, if you wanted a little bit more balance, maybe you say, okay, I've got a hard strength and conditioning session. Let me time that well with my easy running and let me time that well with the day after for it to be a rest day. So you're having that intense um, strength and conditioning accompanied with really easy running. But because you're doing that 80-20 intensity distribution, you might want to do your harder running on the same day that you're doing your more intense strength conditioning. So you, you dedicate one day just to really intense stuff and it, that opens up the rest of the week to be that low intensity stuff. So that's all individual preference, um, might be the preference of your coach or what you have prepared coming up, but having, um, it, maybe you can try one week one, try one week the other and to see how the body responds and if one responds a lot better. No right or wrong, try it all out. 
Um, you are correct with the AEUs, the arbitrary exercise units, and making sure that doesn't ramp up too much. Um, I used to call them AEUs. I'm now calling them TRIMP as uh, talking to Brian Hanley about um, TRIMP is just really easy to say. So training impulse is what it stands for. Um, I have previous episodes on this particular topic, combining your minutes of running or minutes of exercise multiplied by the intensity, the average intensity of that session out of 10. Um, So 30 minutes of running at a RPE of five would give you 150 trimp. So your trimp would be 150. So if you do want to make sure that your trimp score doesn't increase too much, isn't too abrupt. Um, But one thing, the final thing I would add in here is that Make sure that your trimp is just assign the trimp just for running. So you have this running trimp score throughout the week. And then you have this other trimp um, if you decide to do it for the strength training because the two won't combine. You can't continue, you can't equate your strength with your running trimp. They just, the two just won't um, equate to the same amount. So for example, if you, if I use the same example, so 30 minutes of running at five RPE will give you 150 trim score. Um, the the amount of load that's put on the body and the, the amount of demand just won't equate if you do a 30 minute strength and conditioning session at an average intensity of five RPE. The, the demand on the body is just completely different. So if you were to then um, combine the two and say, okay, I did 150 trim. My trimp was 150 for the strength. Trimp was 150 for the running. Therefore, I have 300 trimp. My score is 300. It's just combining on things that just don't. They're they're just too exclusive. They're not going to to weigh up. So what I would recommend is that if you are increasing your running days and you're still continuing your strength training. I would just reserve your trim score just to running to make sure there's no abrupt changes there. But then when it comes to the strength training, I would just be very gradual with how you progress your exercises. Just, you know, last week I did this set dosage. This week I'm going to do this set dosage and just make sure there's no abrupt changes there. Thank you for all your questions. Um, I didn't realize we had two mics in here. So thanks, Mike and Mike. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Virginia, for supplying today's oh and thanks Rory even though I didn't answer your question um I I think I will be just doing these every like six weeks or so just putting it out on Facebook seeing if uh anyone has any questions because I do think this is really good content and the um downloads themselves for these Q&As are a little bit higher than all the other episodes which is surprising to me but I guess the the titles just have a lot more information in the title so more people are clicking on it um That's all for me today. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, As I sign off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, 
who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.